Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. Keep come, keep, 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 keep come. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. Keep come. Keep coming, cauliflower cheese. Yes, welcome along to the program. It's Chappie the British Butler. And it's episode 17 of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. And you're very welcome. The uh, sun is slivering through the blinds this morning. And I'm sipping a lovely, 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 lovely here. Listen to that. Lovely cup of PG tips. Slightly reddish. Mm. Oh, that's really butler petrol. Absolutely wondrous to be here on this Saturday, 1st of August. It's an absolutely spiffing time of day for a butler. I can starch all the collars on the shirts. I can press them. I can uh, start making the hollandaise sauce for the eggs benedict. It really is a wonderful time of the day. And I can just sip tea. Slurping, sipping until I have to get breakfast going. So some of the things we may or may not be talking about today on the program. Rewind to the 1980s as sales of cassettes surge. There's a seller craze. It's sending wine lovers on the spiral. A kangaroo is in the hop in Florida, but it won't be jumping bail. And then we have How to Boss a Barbecue, Tom Kerridge's expert advice for grilling and barbecuing. Why fashion is all going French this summer in 2020. And uh, how are we helping the rescue dogs deal with depression? Order, order. Salinzi Oil's parrot is a speaker. And how I love Johnny Depp's elegant silk face mask. We're also going to be having a, a wonderful game of uh, medieval axe tinder. Also known by the show's name of terrible tincture tinder. Um, we're going to be looking into some uh, East Anglian pub games. Some traditional East Anglian pub games. Um, which I think uh, you may file, find fascinating. One of them called Dwile Flonking. Um, there'll be some fireside ghostly butler tales. My uh, dearest dastardly uncle is uh, not in France at the moment, so there'll be no tales of the Campagna. He's actually sipping a couple of uh, jars of Newcastle Brown as we speak. Um, so he won't be on the show uh, this week and maybe for the next uh, couple of weeks here. Uh, but we will be having some scallywag darts where we delve and drill into the most heinous, hideous crimes from the tabloids in the week and uh, and see which are uh, missing the board, which are a bullseye, which are triple 20, and which are Chappie's special prize. So we love delving into nostalgia and the bygone age. Well, cassettes really do feel like the bygone age. The rewind to the 1980s as sales of cassettes surge. 
They were never ever as cool as vinyl, but they were perfect for creating a summer mixtape for a teenage crush, recording the charts on a Sunday night. Cassettes are making a comeback. Uh, Britons are expected to buy more than 100,000 tapes this year, and this is the first time since 2003 when Dido's Life for Rent was UK's best-selling album on uh, cassette. Figures from the official chart show 65,000 cassettes were bought in the first six months of 2020, twice as many as last year. Younger consumers are buying into their collectible appeal as they're done with vinyl, and they are also drawn into the retro 80s appeal with artists such as Dua Lipa in 1975 and The Weeknd. Uh, spoken about their influence on music and releasing their albums as cassettes. The surge in demand has led the national audio company in the United States to create their own manufacturing line for high-grade ferric oxide, a key ingredient of the magnetic tape for the first time in decades. Lady Gaga sold a 12,000, or Lady Gaga sold 12,000 cassettes of her latest studio album, uh, Chiromatica since May, selling more copies on cassette than vinyl in the opening week. Now, can you remember the, the thing with the cassettes? And I love them, and I made my own mixtapes, and I uh, recorded the charts and did all of that. But can you remember when the tape got stuck in the machine? I mean, this happened for VHS as well. I mean, many uh, dodgy copies of certain movies were stuck in the machine, and you had to prize them out before anybody came home. But the um, but the uh, the actual uh, cassette though often got uh, stuck in the machine, and you had to like prize it out and then rewind the whole thing with a uh, with a, a couple of pencils to get it back, and then it skipped over your favorite part of the music. That was an absolute disaster for any budding teenager who was trying to listen to Wham. So with temperatures surging, I think the hottest day in the UK yesterday, it's very, very hot this weekend, I think, across the southwest in the US, Arizona, uh, parts of uh, parts of Texas uh, and New Mexico, I think parts of California are going to be absolutely stinking hot. So it's a perfect uh, day to uh, to start grilling, to start barbecuing. And Tom Carriage, who very interestingly, uh, a lot of his restaurants, his Michelin star restaurants are going uh, back into work and they're serving again. And he had uh, many, many, many bookings and a lot of them cancelled. So he was absolutely furious with this, leading to a lot of commentators saying that they should actually take advance bookings in advance payment uh, or a deposit before people go into the restaurants. Well, that's a talking point, isn't it? Definitely. But if restaurants can't survive, uh, this may be the way. Uh, may be the way forward. So, um, Carriage um, early in the week was talking about uh, some of the uh, grilling techniques that he uses and some of the, uh, you know, some of the uh, efforts that he puts into place when he actually comes to the grill. He said you have to choose the right barbecue first. Anything from a disposable barbecue to a wood-burning fire bowl. He says it's all about knowing what each barbecue excels at. Um, the disposable doesn't heat the doesn't hold the heat very, very well. The fire pit is incredibly expensive with a metal ring around the outside that you can cook directly on. Like a planker, it's fire wood fired. Uh, the wood heats up the metal and then you can do slow cooking. I imagine that absolutely tastes fantastic with the uh, with the wood burning smoke and everything else. And then obviously you've got your electric grill, um, your charcoal grill. The fuel, um, he suggests, he's not enamored by the instant light charcoal bags. He thinks you need to go slow and low. So the traditional charcoal... And uh, I mean, it's an absolute pain in the ass to uh, to uh, to get those uh, those coals going. 
a little bit of lighter fluid to, to you know to start the coals and warm up the coals here and then you've got an absolutely fantastic uh, situation where you can cook meats and vegetables for uh, for hours um how to avoid burning meat yes you never want to burn your meat on a, on an open flame dear any amateur barbecue knows that you should put your burgers over coals when they're still flames you have to be patient and wait for the coals to go white hot but carriage admits that you can end up with incinerated sausages that's the biggest issue when you put a burgers and sausages the fat drips down and causes the flames to make it all black that's what that's why and it's okay i think this is the adage across the whole of life lower and slower baby um move your coals to the side if you push the coals to one side you can create this cooler area this means you can cook things slower through the cooler area and finish off above the coals with the lid on the heat will circulate from the hot areas to the cooler areas how to use and this is a big contentious point between the british and the americans it almost could cause another boston tea party is it herbs or is it herbs i think it's herbs the uh, lid is a uh, fast route to flavor finish off with herbs throw on the rosemary at the end and then put the lid on this creates a lovely smoky flavor or wood chips oak chips work well other woody herbs such as bay leaves thyme also work very well rosemary is good with coals it burns nicely there's this lovely smoldering effect it creates such a smoky taste a few weeks ago he cooked a t-bone joint for his family of four he cooked it slow and low and then seared it up hard and fast over uh, hot coals this sounds like a 1970s porno movie um, the vegetables that work the best purple sprouting broccoli courgettes cauliflower red peppers all barbecue very well carriage argues because of their high water content so the key when you're cooking vegetables on the barbie is to um to, to find vegetables with a high water content and of course i'm going to repeat this again i'm going to get a t-shirt made up maybe uh, make uh, make uh, the world low and slow hats uh, cook everything low and slow so there was a lovely, lovely piece in the uh, in the Times uh, during the week about about rescue dogs and how they uh, help one writer uh, solve her sort of depression uh, and get over some very traumatic uh, situations in her life. And there was a very um, succinct and lovely paragraph at the end: "All animals teach you something, and rescued animals the most. It's their great unexpected gift." Sisu, her great Pyrenees is her daily reminder that sometimes you can't change the world around you, but you can nearly always change something. And sometimes the small things may be exactly the thing that you need. Order, order. Sir Lindsay Oil's parrot is the speaker. If you're travelling by train between London and Lancashire and hear a strange voice calling for order, order, or demanding that the doors be locked, do not be alarmed. It's probably Sir Lindsay Oil's parrot. Boris, the garrulous parrot and pet belonging to Sir Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker of the House of Commons, has taken to repeating his owner's famous refrains while making the journey from Westminster to Chorley constituency. He explained, I'll put the parrot down and you'll start shouting, lock the doors, lock the doors. And people on the train start looking around saying, who's shouting lock the doors? They can see I'm not speaking, but then this parrot in my box He's going, order, order, lock the doors. Sir Lindsay, who took over from John Burko as a common speaker in November, said he believes Boris, 
picked up the phrases because his wife deliberately places a parrot next to the television when his owner is in the chamber. The speaker makes the call for the doorkeepers to lock the doors to the division lobbies eight minutes after calling for the vote in the chamber. An animal enthusiast, Sir Lindsay's pets include a tortoise called Maggie, Patrick the cat, Gordon the Rottweiler, and Betty the terrier. Along with Boris, named after the current Prime Minister, the animals travel with Sir Lindsay and his wife Catherine each week to spend the weekend at home in the Northwest. They often go by car, but on occasions when the speaker takes the train, squawks can be heard from the parrot's box. Even the pets go up and down with us. In fact, my wife's getting the car ready now. The tortoise will be going up. The par- uh, Boris the parrot is going up. The Patrick the cat is going up. And the dog's already at home. Betty's already waiting for us when we get back. So we'll move the whole kit up north with us. The parrot Boris will be shouting away to us. His latest point of order, point of order. So we'll have lots of point of order, point of order going north. It'll be fun. The cat just ignores us. The MP of Chorley, who's been uh, first elected in 1997 after running a textile printing business, last week he allowed a sniffer dog who checked for explosives following the London Bridge attack to sit in his chair as part of the sweep of the Commons and Lord Chamber. The spaniel called Poppy was awarded a canine MBE for a work during the, 19, uh, the 2017 attack. I mean, I think you're going to hear Boris apparently, Order, order, the Prime Minister must be heard. No sleeping at the back there, we smog. No blustering. I mean, you could almost get the parrot sort of trained. I think it'd be a fantastic thing to do. Trained in a very, very, very lovely English accent. Um, you could train the parrot. It could be great for GPS. Turn right, turn right. Take the hurt shoulder. Turn left at the fork. Um, it could be a fantastic for phone like sex lines. Oh, there we go. Don't stick it in there. Stick it in there. Oh, no, no. Wrong, wrong, wrong place. Oh, no. Yeah, be careful. Oh, take it easy. And then, of course, uh, maybe along the same lines, you could have uh, London Underground. Mind the gap! Mind the gap between the train and the platform! Mind the gap! And again, it could be back to the porno again. Mind the gap! Mind the gap! So all the legal talk in the last few weeks has been this Johnny, Johnny Depp Amber Heard uh, court case in London. Now, I've noticed that both Depp and Heard have fabulous face coverings. In the days when we all have to wear masks, we should all wear masks, I think it's absolutely essential that you cannot uh, drop your whole fashionista sense when it comes to wearing um, wearing the mask. And I think they've got some absolutely uh, fabulous um, face coverings. Now, I, I think Johnny's is a very, uh, very trusty sort of antique uh, type of silk neckerchief that he's using. He's sort of wrapping it around. I think Amber Heard's using the same type of thing. I think hers is more of a pastiche of red. Um, and I think they they look very, very classy. I mean, the surgical masks uh, look absolutely uh, awful. Some of the homemade DIY efforts look awful. But uh, I tell you, this is the way forward. I'm going to go and buy myself a silk, silk scarf, wrap it around many times, and then you've got some sort of haute couture uh, type of face coverings there. So there's a delightful book about those bygone summers of your... Um, back in the 1950s, 60s, up to the 80s. Uh, and it is absolutely uh, superb by Yusenda Maxine Graham um, and British Summertime. Uh, dressed in last summer's shabby clothes, hanging around at home for months on end, stuck with the family day in, day out, never going to a cafe or restaurant, not going abroad, not spending money, quietly mastering a new useful, useless skill, uh, no appointments in the diary, no idea. 
um, what date it might be, I thought I'd captured a vanished world in her book, uh, British Summertime Begins, The Summer School Holidays 1930-1980, to which went off to the printers uh, in February. She interviewed hundreds of people from all walks of life, some famous, some not, and probed for details about their childhood summers through the prism of threadbare shorts, hand-me-down bikes, badminton nets made of old strawberry netting, club biscuits, melting tarmac, and the daily need to fend off boredom in the pre-computer age. She painted a portrait of a generation, today's over 40s, who built up an astonishing resilience through the endless summers of an unscheduled time. She's saying we can pride ourselves in uh, this year's 1960 summer. So the pandemic is like a 1960 summer has been in many ways even more stringent than the original. At least in the 60s, it was easy to walk into a restaurant. Even through many of us hardly ever did. In the 1960s, you didn't give a second thought to going to stay off with your grandparents. Staying with a granny was, for many, I spoke to the chief experience of travel in their childhoods as a vital source of stability. The atmosphere of grandparents' houses remembered vividly the blackness of the favourite frying pans, a grandmother's regular crockwork habits, her tea trolley. That reminds me, I think I need a sip of the PG right now. Mm. Afternoon nap. Her grandparental theories, you must wait two days till you get your first bath, um, said QC Peter Summons, uh, used to say on his arrival to Paul Call, your body needs to adjust. So this was before the days of package holidays to the continent. John Mullahan, now a professor of English at UCL, begged his mother if they could go away. Please, can we go away this year? When he heard that some of the boys in the primary school's class were getting ready for their first package holidays to Majorca, while his family were just going to shingly Suffolk as usual. His mother replied, darling, it's going to be vulgar. So as many trundled off on ferries to the continent, bringing their English food with them, in broadcast Eleanor Oldroyd, she said her family took 21 tins of baked beans, one per day, for the three-week camping holiday. And honking the horn when they passed another uh, GB car were simple pleasures that uh, have been denied this year. Of course, there was some misery in localised summers. Towns and villages rang with screaming of siblings over games of Monopoly, violent rows over LBW decisions in the backyard, and the crying bullied middle sisters being given Chinese burns. The overwhelming impression gleaned from interviews that there were swaths of the population that remembered distant childhood summers as times of unselfconscious freedom and happiness. It was because they weren't expecting to be having the time of their lives that they somehow managed to go into a state of unsupervised bliss. Yes, I remember the days. I mean, I'm I'm a little bit younger than uh, than, than uh, the book, this current book that, that I'm reading. Um, but I remember days of playing out in the meadows, um, getting stung by stinging nettles, and having to. Uh, look for the leaf that's right next to the stinging nettles and you can rub that on the sting and it was uh, uh, cured in no time. And then lashings and lashings of uh, strawberries and cream washed down with, uh, uh, you know, liters and liters of uh, Robinson's orange barley water, which is absolutely fantastic. Still drink it today. Very, very refreshing on a summer's day. And my daughter absolutely loves it as well and calls it daddy's drink. Yes, I think it's Tao time for a, a little game of terrible tincture tinder, our medieval uh, tinder game. Um, so this week's contestant is uh, Henry VIII. Um, 
is are we going to be swinging right, swinging left, and could Black Hood be your special mystery prize? So uh, we've got our uh, we've got our contestants this week here. We've got uh, Catherine from Aragon. We have Anne Boleyn from uh, Blickling, Norfolk. We have Jane uh, Seymour. We have Anne from Cleves. We have Catherine Howard, also from Norfolk. And we have Catherine Parr. So these are the rules of the game here. So as with any Tinder game, um, you either swipe right or swipe left. In this case, it's uh, swing right with the axe or swing left. Uh, you certainly don't want to be swinging left here. Um, so if you uh, if, um, if if the axe swings left, you're going to uh, hear this sound. And if you oh here we go. And that's if it, if that's if the axe swings right. So left. And then there's right. So there we go. That's the uh, that's the aim uh, aim of this rather lovely uh, game of um, medieval tincture tinder. Um, so Catherine of Aragon was Henry VIII's uh, first wife and his longest marriage after his brother died. Uh, Henry obtained a papal dispensation to marry his brother's wife, which is slightly weird. Catherine, as he had been in love with her for some time for 23 years, Catherine and Henry remained married and produced a daughter named Mary. Most scholars agree that Catherine of Aragon may, may have been one of Henry's uh, favorite wives that he truly loved. Several declarations by him over the years professed undying love for her. So we have to decide and guess, um, was it a swing of the axe to the right or swing of the axe desperately and dastardly and traumatically to the left? So was it this? Or that? Did she find the love potion? Or did she uh, face the uh, swing of the axe from the left? Um, so in this case, uh, well, she did end up in divorce, but she didn't have her head on a block. Uh, so she did finally find the love potion. As I said, Henry uh, did love her for many, many, many years afterwards. So that uh, that's Catherine. Um, so we go back to our uh, to our fabulous uh, contestants here. We have Anne Boleyn from Blickling. Anne became one of King Henry VIII's wives after her own sister had been tossed aside. Mary Boleyn had an affair with the king during uh, during his marriage to Catherine of Aragon and had been dismissed uh, after consummating their union. Anne, hoping to avoid the same treatment as her sister, refused to become Henry VIII's mistress instead, telling him he had to get court her and marry her and bed her. Uh, uh, being denied the object of his affections eventually drove Henry to break from the Catholic Church and begin his own. Henry VIII appointed the Boleyn family's chaplain as head of his new church, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and wed Anne in a secret service. 
the Catholic Church began to move against Henry VIII, Anne Boleyn proved invaluable for the newly established Church of England as it was aligned with the family she was aligned with and with the King and the Church of England fell under Henry VIII's command. Despite being named Queen Consort of England and bearing a daughter to Henry VIII, there was soon trouble in paradise. Anne's inability to bear a son, rightful male heir to the throne, proved to be her downfall. Henry VIII soon lost interest in her. So, anyway, do you think it was a swipe right, a swing right, or indeed a uh, swing left in the, uh, in the, uh, in the case of uh, Anne Boleyn? So let's have a think here. Was it, uh, was it A, a swing, uh, or was that a swing right? Did you find the love potion? I'm afraid in the case of Anne, it was definitely a swing left, not a swing right. It was a swing left. Oh, dear. So, and next on our list here, it seems to be getting rather, 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 rather more tragic here for uh, all of these cases. Other than the case of Jane Seymour, though, after beheading his second wife, Henry VIII moved on to one of her ladies-in-waiting, Jane Seymour, marrying her just 10 days after, Henry, uh, after Anne's execution. It was widely believed that Henry VIII made, him, made her his mistress while married to Anne, and that she was a key player in the predecessor's untimely execution. The pair were married for a little over a year before Jane gave birth to a son that he wanted dearly and loved the, loved the son dearly, the king's third child and his first male heir. Unfortunately, due to complications with her birth, Jane died 12 days later after her son was born. Um, and apparently birthing his first male meant a lot to Henry and he said to grieve following her death was insurmountable. So in the case of Jane Seymour, I think it's pretty obvious. I think it was, uh, it wasn't, uh, in this case, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a uh, swing right, or swing left. It was this. No, it was this. And again, it wasn't the axe sweeping, uh, sweeping aside. It was the uh, lovely, luscious love potion. Well, we've got next on the Oki here, um, Anne of Cleves. Anne of Cleves, a German princess, was the fourth of Henry VIII's wives and the shortest of all his marriages. The pair were married just for six months and according to Anne, never consummated the marriage. Despite being married to King Henry VIII, she had a pre-existing marriage agreement with another English monarch which Henry VIII claimed with the grounds for an annulment. Surprisingly, Anne of Cleves agreed to the annulment and was given a generous, generous annulment settlement as a reward. I think in that case, I don't think it was a swipe left. She didn't lose her head and uh, certainly wasn't the love potion. Um, I think in this case, Anne probably ghosted Henry. So the equivalent of a medieval ghosting. Um, <clears throat> and then we have the unfortunate Catherine Howard was the fifth of Henry VIII's wives and the second to be beheaded. Uh, Anne Boleyn was her, first, uh, was her first cousin. She was 16 at the time. Through the marriage, it was a year long. They produced no children. And she eventually was accused of treason 
for committing adultery while married to Henry. I think this is a time when he had pustules on his legs, incredibly overweight. Uh, when he put his armour on, he had be lifted on a winch onto the horse here. Three months after being stripped of her title, the Queen uh, really did uh, suffer um, her ultimate fate. And uh, in this case, I mean, it wasn't... Uh, I mean, it certainly wasn't, uh, in this case, this one. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't the love potion. It, de it definitely wasn't that. Uh, it was this. Poor Catherine followed Anne's fate, and I don't think it was. Certainly wasn't a love potion uh, swing to the right. It was definitely the more fatal swing to the left and finally we have uh catherine parr is actually older than henry the last of henry VIII's wives with catherine parr the most influential in making sure his lineage continued catherine parr became the restorer of the court uniting his children and making sure they presented to the world as a close-knit family she was instrumental in his legitimate children's educations and passed legislation that made his previously illegitimate children for annulment legitimate again. Henry VIII trusted his wife so much that when he went to war, he appointed her as his successor, naming her as Queen, Queen Regent in the event of his death. When he did eventually die at the age of 55, Catherine was allowed to keep all of her gowns and jewels and reside in one of the castles. Catherine Parr was even kept the uh, title of Dowager Queen. So I think in this case here, um, I think by this point in time, uh, uh, old, uh, old, uh, old Henry, old Henry, he um, at this point in time, uh, there were there were definitely uh, there were definitely no uh, no love potions going along here. There was none of this because it, I mean there was no sort of uh, uh, horny goat weed or Viagra in medieval times without a doubt. So there's none of that, none of none of none of the naughty uh, shenanigans, none of the rumpy pumpy going on here. Uh, it was uh, he. He actually trusted her, and in in, in in some ways, Catherine Parr was uh, was his was his favourite. He trusted her right to the last moment, made a dowager queen, and uh, continued his lineage um, with uh, with Edward, and then uh, and then with uh, Mary and Elizabeth afterwards. So we have some ghastly, ghostly butler fireside tales here over the coming weeks here, into the dark, wet, dank autumn days. So, following on from our game of uh, medieval uh, axe tinder, we have a ghostly tale about Anne Boleyn's old residing place, Blickling Hall. Blickling Hall was built in the early part of the 17th century, Sir Henry Hobart, Although the ghosts have reputedly haunted it, those occupants of a previous hall on the site, it once belonged to Sir Thomas Boleyn, father of the ill-fated Anne Boleyn. It was she who had caught the king's attention, King Henry VIII, became his mistress and ultimately his second queen before finding herself accused of treasonable adultery, sexual deviation, uh, among others with her brother, Lord Rochford. And worst of all, witchcraft, sentenced to death, by her own uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, she was beheaded on the 19th of May, 1536, by skilled swordsmen, specially imported from France for the occasion. Her husband won merciful concession to the fallen queen. 
Her ghost is now one of the busiest in England, but here at Blickling on the anniversary of her death, that she makes the most dramatic appearance. Indeed, the auspicious date is something of a ghastly family reunion in these parts. Anna sells dressed all in white, seated in a ghostly carriage that's drawn by headless horses, spurred on by headless coachmen. She too is headless, her severed, dripping head securely in her lap as the ghastly vision careers down the drive of Blickling Hall. And upon arrival at the door, the coach and the driver vanish, leaving the headless queen to glide along into the hall where she roams the corridors and rooms until daybreak. Her brother, Lord Roachford, appears on the same night. He too is headless, although he doesn't carry the comfort of a carriage for he is dragged along across the surrounding countryside by four headless horses. Not to be left out, the unearthly family get together. Sir Thomas Boleyn, who had been given a dreadful penance to perform on the anniversary of her death, for once a thousand years from her death in 1539, he must attempt to drive his own spectral coach and horses over 12 bridges that lie between Roxham and Blickling. The impossibility of his task is made even more difficult by the fact that he comes and he carries his head under his arm, which makes controlling the horses a difficult task indeed. The final spirit to haunt Blickling is thought to be that of Henry Hobart, who died of the wounds of his horse following a duel in 1698. It is reported that his dying groans still echo down the centuries from time to time, chilling the blood of all that hear them. Hello ladies and mantelpieces, it's Scallywag Darts, here with Jappy the Butler. Um, we delve into the most heinous headline crimes of the week here, uh, seeing if it's going to be missing a board, if it's going to be a triple 20, a bullseye, or Chappy the Butler's special prize. So I think a sweet uh, little uh, headline, uh, but uh, probably missing a board here, is Honey Stealing Cow Chasing Bears Nine Month Run Comes to an End. Um, and I think we have our triple 20. Me and my boyfriend share our bed with a seven stone rescue pig and we've named him Pickles. And I think we've got our, uh, I think we've got our bullseye, uh, bullseye of the week here. Woman casually wears KFC box as a face mask. So a woman's using a uh, KFC box of chicken nuggets, I presume empty ones, or maybe she leaves them on for a little snack as she, uh, as she uh, tries to avoid COVID. But you know what? I was thinking that I would love to have a one of the uh, KFC pot pies covering my face, or the buttery pastry covering the face, protecting me from the disease, whilst licking the buttery goodness would be rather rather delicious indeed i think we need to uh, stand up and applaud uh we've got we got chappy's special prize chappy's special prize on scallywag darts for the week
And we have, ladies and gentlemen, Chappie's special prize for the most heinous headline crime of the week. It's uh, it's an absolute, absolute delicious one here. Um, we've got man with a shoe fetish stole 126 flip-flops to have sex with. The question I ask, and I'm just putting it out there, just uh, just contemplating the answer, is what does he do with the little flap between the toe? So thank you very much for listening to uh, the episode of the podcast this week. We're going to actually have a bumper Bonanza edition. We have so much material. Uh, Butler researchers and little gnomes and elves and Butler gnomes and elves have been doing lots and lots of research over the last week for the podcast. It's carefully uh, and and, and cautiously uh, put together over the course of the week. Uh, all the uh, little inserts and uh, everything between between the starching of the shirts and the press collars and the eggs benedict and the hollandaise sauce. So we've got a bumper edition, bonanza edition of the podcast coming up straight after this uh, for your audio uh, delectation and delight. So we're just going to finish this podcast today with searing temperatures, the uh, mercury rising uh, with uh, Shakespeare's Sonnet 18. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely, more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease have all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often in his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometimes declines, by chance or by nature's changing course, untrimmed, but thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou ost. Nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when his eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as man can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this gives lies to thee. Again, stay along for the ride. It's going to be a bucking bronco of the butler ride. We have a, a bonanza bumper edition of the podcast this week and the next episodes coming up uh, in this whimsical little portal we call keep calm and cauliflower cheese so listen along ladies and mantelpieces <laughs>